Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.20 a.m. Sunday night, Monday morning, and today was a really awesome day of church. Uh, We had a really great crowd, so thank you so much if you came out today. Thank you if you listened online, and thank you to you for listening on the podcast right now. Um, Gee, what's going on? Um, You'd think that I would put some more thought into this intro before I actually hit record, but you know, that would be giving me way too much credit. Um, This message from Hannah is a really cool one. We're kind of finishing up a little mini series um, based on a Brian McLaren book. Uh, I think it's, ah, shoot, General Orthodoxy. I think that's the one. Uh, So today Hannah is going to be talking about um, Jesus, our savior from what, or, you know, what are we saved from? Um, How would most Christians answer that question? How would we, how should we? Um, It was a really cool day, uh, really exciting little mini series that we did. And I'm looking forward to this Sunday. We're going to do a uh, a message actually based around a song. I uh, had this idea to do this meditation thing about perseverance and, you know, kind of keeping, keeping going when the going gets tough. And so I uh, asked Hannah to write a message around it, and that's what we're going to do. So you should come out and hang out with us for this next Sunday. It's going to be an awesome week. A couple of quick announcements. Make sure to go to diff.church and check out our events section. We are going to be uh, going to a concert um, by this violinist who was introduced to us through our good buddy, Dwayne. So check that out if you're interested in that. And also, our two-year anniversary is coming up. Uh, March 6th. Please come out for that. It's going to be a really cool day. We're actually going to do an old school potluck at uh, the church right after the service. Uh, But I'm going to let Hannah tell you a little more about that. Thanks, Jarrett. I texted Jarrett randomly like a couple weeks ago and I was like, Jarrett, I know we're like trying to not be like a regular church, but would it be hilarious and adorable if we had a potluck? (laughs) And he said yes. And that's all I needed. Also, we have special permission from the opera to be here until 3 p.m. that day. So you better come ready to have some fellowship. Now, it is Black History Month. Yes. And we are sharing uh, a person you should know every single week. And this is a person specifically this year who is some kind of artist or creator. So our first year, our first year, our first week was Dr. Jaya John, and last week was Morgan Harper Nipples. This week, our person is Rita Dove. Does anyone, has anyone heard of Rita Dove? Okay, you should know who she is because she is a black poet and writer who served as Poet Laureate of the United States. She was the first black person ever appointed to this position, as well as the youngest person ever appointed. She writes fiction, poetry. She has a book of poetry called Thomas and Beulah, which has won a Pulitzer. Uh, much, much of her work deals with like stories of her ancestral family and their history through poetry. And I have one poem that I want to share with you today. These are her words. Her poem is titled Heart to Heart. It's neither red nor sweet. It doesn't melt or turn over, break or harden. So it can't feel pain, yearning, regret. It doesn't have a tip to spin on. It isn't even shapely. 
Just a thick clutch of muscle, lopsided, mute. Still, I feel it inside its cage, sounding a dull tattoo. I want, I want, but I can't open it. There is no key. I can't wear it on my sleeve or tell you from the bottom of it how I feel. Here, it's all yours, but you'll have to take me too. Pretty sure I snapped something on this microphone in the middle of that poem. <laughs> so if the sound goes haywire in the middle of this, I'm just gonna grab this mic right here. Now, seamless transition. Speaking of hearts, <laughs> our topic for discussion today is a little bit related because we are talking about salvation. Everyone take a big breath. If you have like a salvation trauma, <laughs> if you have been saved, has anyone been saved like a hundred times as a kid? Because I definitely went up like a million. I was like, oh, I mean, I got saved last week, but this time the Lord has really done a work in my heart. Praise Jesus. And then I'd be like the next week, no, I don't think, I don't think I got saved. So the idea of accepting Jesus into our hearts as our personal savior, this is a very widespread idea in evangelical Christianity. Churches talk about it all the time. Christians talk about it all the time. We sing about it. We preach about it. We evangelize people against their will because of it. And if you ask someone what Jesus is saving them from, you might meet a few heavenly souls with like a really deep, like nuanced answer to this. But mostly in America, the answer is what? Hell. hell. <laughs> yes, sin and hell. Jesus is saving me from eternal torment of some kind. But I want us to begin by actually just stopping to think about this for a minute. Is it possible to just whatever we know about salvation or have been taught, just suspend it. And we can just think about it together for like 20 minutes. Give it some fresh attention. Because we have words like savior and save and salvation and we toss them around all the time. It's just part of our lingo. But I think we've misconstrued their meaning entirely. And I don't mean to imply that every church everywhere has distilled the their theology on salvation into like, Jesus saves me from hell. Like there are certainly countless Christians and churches that have this rich, like deep tradition and it means so much. Um, and salvation is not just like a get out of jail free card in God's game of monopoly. However, I think for many of us that nuanced rich interpretation has been drowned out by the harsh loud doctrine of eternal salvation or damnation. So it's hard for us to think of salvation as anything but, you know, the thing we get so we don't go to the bad place. So I've titled this message, Jesus, Savior of what? <laughs> okay, let's start simply. In the Bible, the word save means rescue or heal. That's what it means. It does not automatically mean save from hell. It also does not automatically mean give eternal life after death. It's Actually, its meaning varies from passage to passage, but generally, in any context, it means get out of trouble. It could mean trouble from sickness, or war, or political intrigue, or oppression, or poverty, or imprisonment, or any kind of danger or evil. God, throughout the Hebrew Bible, which we know is the Old Testament, repeatedly saves from danger and evil. So to say that God saves means God intervenes to rescue. God somehow compassionately and miraculously steps in to the situation and gets involved and protects people from their enemies or themselves. 
And God does so in three primary ways. So first, God saves by judging. Now, if you have any religious baggage, <laughs> you might be like, judging is not a good thing. Judge not lest you be judged. Okay, can I get an amen? Um, <laughs> If you have only heard the Bible filtered through sermons or TikTok videos, you might be like, judging? This is bad. But in the Bible, it's actually viewed as a good thing. And this is why. It means, judgment means the coming of truth and justice into our deceived and oppressed world. So if some bad and dishonest people are out there trying to deceive and oppress others, God brings justice by bringing judgment. In other words... He names evil for what it is and speaks the truth. Judgment, God brings judgment. And by that, I mean the natural consequences of bad actions. I don't mean like God's up there being like, now who shall I strike with lightning bolts today? Ah, the naughty list. There's all of you. <laughs> natural consequences so that the people are incapacitated and not, cannot do the further evil that they intended to do. And if other people are judging you, then God comes in as your vindicator, your justifier. God tells the truth, which exposes the lies of the other people. And over and over again, when the biblical writers anticipate this day when God will come to judge evil, it's to expose it and permanently incapacitate it while vindicating the good. Sometimes it gets a little more complicated. And by sometimes, I mean literally all the time, because what if we're the ones who are doing bad things? And we see the natural consequences of our actions coming towards us. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> in, this, in this situation, God saves by judging and then by forgiving. So often, the danger or evil we face is like self-created. Not always. Often self-created, self-inflicted, self-sabotaging, and we just keep doing it because we're self-deluded and we're in denial. We're like, no, no, I've done the same thing a thousand times and I just keep getting the same result. I don't know why I would try anything different. And God comes in and judges, meaning God speaks the truth and names what we're doing for what it is and penetrates our denial. Have you ever had a moment where you're like, oh no, the, oh no. <laughs> Like, God, God, the universe, something hits you, and you're just like, mm, I really did not want you to call me out like that. God, this is not very nice of you. And by doing that, God begins saving us. But then God goes further. God doesn't just say, hey, cut it out. God then says, we, we have these consequences, because this is a natural order of the world, right? Like, if I... Don't look where I'm going. I will fall off the stage. It will happen one day. <laughs> I'm not like speaking this into existence, but it probably will. <laughs> if I punch someone in the face, the likelihood is there's going to be a reaction, right? There are natural consequences to the things that we do. And if we do make certain choices that are harmful and the consequences of our behavior are looming over us, we hear God's judgment and we realize we did something dumb. And we have second thoughts. And then we have a change of heart. And we're sorry. Or we finally see what we did as harmful to ourselves or someone else. And we're sorry. That is what repentance is, right? And then God goes further by forgiving us, thus bringing salvation in a fuller sense. 
Salvation is what happens when we experience both judgment and forgiveness. Justice, exposing the truth about our actions, and mercy, foregoing the negative natural consequences of our actions. Without both of those, you don't end up with true salvation. We often refer to this in church terms as like God convicting us of our sin or our need for repentance. And actually, those are just very fancy church words. But without them, there is no true salvation, right? Forgiveness without conviction on our part, forgiveness without some kind of change of heart of us actually seeing what we have done and seeing the harm we have done to ourselves and to other people and being like, oh, I need to live differently. Without that piece, it's not forgiveness. It's irresponsible toleration. If I keep punching you in the face and you keep going, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, and I never understand or internalize the fact that maybe I shouldn't be hitting you. That's irresponsible toleration. <laughs> it doesn't lead to reconciliation and peace. It leads to chaos. But conversely, judgment without mercy is not salvation. It's condemnation. Just being like, yeah, you suck. Great, thanks. <laughs> now what? <laughs> it doesn't lead to reconciliation and peace. It leads to alienation. Now, the third way God saves is by teaching. God reveals something to us or teaches us a better way to live. So here's an example. There is a young, ignorant farmer, and she doesn't know anything about soil, conservation, or plants, or whatever. She just like plants the same food every single year and doesn't give the fields a break and doesn't care about erosion and doesn't care about watering them properly or fertilizing, just doesn't care. What will happen to her? Slowly, year by year, there will be less and less yield and she will starve to death. But imagine her wise grandmother comes in and is like, hey, we gotta fix this situation because you're killing yourself. Also, you're killing me. <laughs> um, let me teach you how to do this. Let me teach you how to rotate your crops. Let me teach you how to give the land a break. Let me teach you how to fertilize. Let me teach you how to build these things so that the, when the rainstorm comes, doesn't wash away all your good soil. By teaching her, she quite literally saves her granddaughter from starvation. Now, if we say Jesus is the savior, which we say often, if you're a Christian, it means that God is intervening as a savior in all of those ways. Judging, naming evil as evil. Forgiving, breaking the cycle of cause and effect, making reconciliation possible. And teaching, showing us how to set off chain reactions of good instead of chain reactions of bad. Jesus, wherever Jesus goes, shows things how they really are. And then brings the saving judgment with mercy or justice to anyone who will accept it. And this is a window into the meaning of the cross, right? Because the, when Jesus dies on the cross, he basically absorbs the worst that humans can offer. Crooked religion, corrupt political systems, individual betrayal, physical violence. Jesus just enters into this thunderstorm of human evil and takes it full shock. And in doing so, to a person who has done nothing wrong, human evil is just brutally exposed. It's drawn into broad daylight 
and judged. It's shown to be what it is. And then having felt its agony and pain firsthand, Jesus then pronounces forgiveness and demonstrates that the grace of God is more powerful and more expansive than the worst that humans could offer. Justice and mercy come together. And from their marriage, a new future comes. And then, because we are quite often wrong (laughs) and ignorant, we don't know what we're talking about. Not all the times, but many times. Jesus comes in with teaching, a saving teaching that is so profound and also so compact that anyone can get it. And it's this, all the law and all the prophets and everything can be distilled into this one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's enough. And then, of course, after his death and resurrection, Jesus sends his spirit to continue the process of reaching us and teaching us, creating this community across generations and around the world that is trying to learn how to live a full and meaningful and non-harmful life. Now, most of us used to believe that Jesus' primary focus in coming to earth was to save me. Have you ever heard this uh, like phrase preached like, if you were the only person in the world, then Jesus would have still died for your sins? Yes, I've heard that a lot. So Jesus' whole focus was on saving me and also other me's as individuals. And for this reason, we often speak of Jesus as our personal savior. And we have tried to convince other people that they should believe in Jesus in this exact same way. Now, okay, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to like write me long emails about my incorrect theology, okay? I do believe that Jesus is vitally interested in seeing us individually and naming what we have done for what it is and in forgiving us and in teaching us a better way to live personally. But I am afraid that personal salvation is just another personal consumer product, like a personal computer or a personalized coffee cup. And Christianity has become a marketing organization for that product. Because that mindset makes salvation all about me and also specifically focuses on Jesus saving us from hell after we die. That's what you need a personal savior for, right? I think this is an uncomfortable approach for a couple of reasons, so stick with me. Here's some questions to consider. First, can't seeking my personal salvation as the ultimate end and goal of Jesus become the ultimate consumerism? Even narcissism. Like in a self-centered, hell-centered salvation, doesn't Jesus, just like every company or political party, appeal to me on the basis of self-interest? so that I can have it all eternally and also cheaply, conveniently, easily, and quickly. Come and step into my place where you can say some magic words and God will sprinkle some fairy dust on you and then you get out of hell. Meanwhile, it requires nothing from you. Nothing in your life has been shown to be what it is, the good or the bad. You have not had a change of heart about anything other than being like, I don't really want to go to hell because that sounds bad. Second question, doesn't being preoccupied with our own individual salvation put us in danger of being like the selfish people on the Titanic who were more concerned 
to scramble for themselves on life rafts, <clears throat> Rose, than they were about saving other people. Doesn't it make us less concerned about the possibility of saving the whole ship? Doesn't it reinforce exactly the kind of sanctified self-centeredness that the real Jesus would have been like, no, bad, cut it out. Third question. Doesn't the very importance of my personal salvation pose a temptation to want heaven more than I want good? To want to escape from hell more than I want true reconciliation with God or my neighbors or my enemies or myself. By wanting salvation for ourselves more than we want salvation for the world, is it possible that we'll end up with neither? And fourth, doesn't our preoccupation with hell like kind of devalue other things that matter? In other words, isn't hell such an intense bottom line that it devalues all other values? We're getting philosophical, but let me put it simply. If we so emphasize the importance of life after death that we have unintentionally trivialized life before death, no wonder people feel that accepting Jesus as their personal savior could make them a worse person. Not to mention the examples many Christians have given them. And by many Christians, I mean me. I'm not like calling out other people. Could it make them a worse person? More self-centered? Less concerned about justice on earth because we're too preoccupied with forgiveness and treasures in heaven? Now, I do believe in Jesus in some sense as my personal savior, but that is not why I'm a Christian or a Christ follower. A Christian because I believe Jesus is the savior of the whole world. Y'all can come back up. What's the deal with Jesus? <laughs> is Jesus out to protect our own self-interest? I wish. Although, honestly, my own self-interest is kind of, I feel like I could aim higher. <laughs> I feel like even if Jesus was out to protect my self-interest, he would be like, well, you, <laughs> you need to work harder. <laughs> is Jesus here to save us all individually from this waste of a planet? Or to keep us all from harm's way and fix every little problem that arises in our life and protect us from the reality of being human? No! I know you're shocked that I said no. What if I said yes, then you would really be shocked. <laughs> of our power structures, of our culture of violence and dominance and our circular systems where we give more to the people at the top and have no regard for the arbitrarily there people on the bottom. Jesus is here actually to remind us that it's not all about us. Jesus is here to judge us. Thank God. And by that, I mean Jesus is here to shine a brilliant, focused, light on all the things in ourselves that we would very much rather keep hidden. All the ways we want to stay in denial, 
Jesus is here to show our harm and our evil and our wrongdoing for what it truly is, harmful and evil and wrong. And then Jesus is here to sit with us in the worst of our pain, in the depths of our sadness, to take the punches we throw when we feel caged in, to absorb the bitter words we speak when we're wounded, to open his arms to our rage and our malice and our shame and our violence and our hate, and to swallow all of it, a giant horse pill of death. And then to give us mercy, to speak kindly to us, to speak to us with words of hope and affirmation and love, that Jesus is here to save us by giving us mercy instead of consequences, peace instead of anxiety, belonging instead of jealousy, and by teaching us a better way to live. Y'all know I kind of went hard on like evil today. But you know I also go hard on, I really think y'all are good inside. There, two things can be true at once. And actually I think that's the point of salvation, isn't it? You're not all bad. In fact, the point of mercy and the point of grace and the point of acceptance and the point of Jesus absorbing everything we can throw at him and then giving us back what we then can model for other people is because we're good inside. It's because when we do harmful things, it's a distortion of who we were meant to be, not fundamentally who we were meant to be. Can you believe in Jesus like that? I do. I hope you can. Because I do and it's made all the difference. We have two more songs. If you'd like to stand with us, and we'll just sing together.